Hey there, listener, and welcome back to another episode of I Statement. I'm your host, Angela, and I hope you're having a wonderful day, wherever you're at, wherever you are. I know that I am rounding out the semester as we speak, and I'm getting to the point where I am feeling pretty ready to move on to the new semester and the new chapter that it will bring with it. For me, that means student teaching and embarking on a full-time journey in that discipline, and I'm really excited for it. Very nervous, but pretty excited. And so today for this episode, I wanted to do something that is more education-focused, more pedagogy-focused, because I feel like I haven't done that in a while, and I've been feeling slightly disconnected from my intended profession, I guess, and the field that I'll be entering into. Whether that's because of maybe feeling a bit uninspired, a lack of time with students and children this semester, probably less so than I have ever had. Most semesters I'm with students at least two or three times a week. So this is very different for me and this is something that has been quite an adjustment to not have students around most of the time. And I wanted today to talk about a form of pedagogy, a way of thinking about teaching and instruction that one of my professors brought to my attention, and it's called rhizomatic pedagogy. So get ready, and here we go. First and foremost, I would like to point out that I am definitely no expert on this teaching theory, on this pedagogical framework and lens, but I was very intrigued when I heard about it. And I actually heard about it in my Global Studies Senior Seminar course with a fantastic professor who I am really excited to have been with throughout our course. I'm actually writing for an academic journal because of her as well, and although her background isn't in education, it's in posthumanism and other philosophical um, things, which I'm also butchering at the moment, she brought rhizomatic pedagogy and rhizomatic learning to my attention. And for that, I really truly thank her because this is a framework that I think I think a lot about conceptually, but I never had a name to place to it. And I'm really excited to talk about it today. So rhizomatic learning comes from ideas described by Giles Deleuze and Felix Quattari. I feel as though I may be pronouncing those theorists' names incorrectly, and for that I also formally apologize. And they talk, so Deleuze and Guattari in A Thousand Plateaus, Capitalism and Schizophrenia, (laughs) they talk about rhizomatic learning. Also, just want to note that I do not know anything about this work. I've never read it. The only place that it has come up for me has been in my research of rhizomatic pedagogy and rhizomatic learning as a framework. So I guess maybe I should have done a little bit more research, but I honestly could not really have done that without reading the text. But anyway, I'm just wanting to tell all of you what I've found about it so far. So when we think about rhizomatic pedagogy, it comes from the concept of a rhizome, which is often referred to as a creeping root stalk. It's a plant that sends out roots and shoots as it spreads. So when I first read this description, heard about this description, tried to visualize it, I thought of something that was never ending. Something that's constantly growing and adapting as the conditions change for it. And that's pretty much exactly what rhizomatic pedagogy emphasizes. 
So this concept, this framework, this tie to a physical, tangible, biological thing represents the way that ideas are multiple, that they are interconnected in so many ways, and that they are self-relocating. And there's no beginning or end. And I think that that's very cool, and I believe, at least in my own experiences, that I have been thinking about this a lot throughout my teaching, throughout all of my lesson planning and curriculum design and just experiences in the classroom. Because when I teach something, I teach a lesson, I have to have context for that lesson. I have to have a why behind why I'm teaching that lesson. What's the reason for it? What does it connect to? What prior knowledge am I activating? What are we building upon? And then at the end of that lesson, how does this extend? What's an extension of this lesson? How is this progressing on a learning track for what students need to know next? What does this tie to? So I feel like throughout my experiences, I've always been thinking about those concepts and I've been very trained and diligent in making sure that I'm being mindful and knowledgeable of, okay, what have we learned first? How does that connect? How does that come into play? And then how is this specific lesson that we're learning right now, that we're interacting with right now, how is that going to carry out into the future? How is that going to be of importance for us? And how is it going to connect to our further learning? So I've always been thinking about this. And of course, that one concept does not encompass all of rhizomatic pedagogy in and of itself, but it's definitely a very important part of it. Rhizomatic pedagogy also acknowledges that learners come from many different contexts and that they need very different things in those contexts. So, right, we're trying to be very professional and intentional and individualized, even though learning comes from an interconnected place and from many multiple avenues and routes and areas, we still need to have very specific instruction, very specific and not overgeneralized ways of teaching a very diverse group of our students. So when we think about how we're searching for our students' success, right, we're always searching for that success in whatever way that that's going to mean to them, which is completely different and individualized across every single student. We have to remember that Yes, of course, like they need different things depending on where they're at and many other important and necessary to be acknowledged influences. And honestly, I've seen this as well in many of my placements. I have worked in an area that is a refugee resettlement area, students of low socioeconomic status and backgrounds and students of high socioeconomic status and backgrounds who do not have many outlying infringements on their education. And so I think rhizomatic pedagogy, we're thinking of that rhizome, we're thinking of spreading, and it's not so much of thinking about like the individual learner, it's thinking about learning in and of itself as a whole, the practice of learning and the practice of teaching, which is what influences learning, which is what determines learning. So Deleuze and Guattari state that the rhizome pertains to a map that must be produced, constructed, a map that is always detachable, connectable, reversible, modifiable, and has multiple entryways and exits and its own lines of flights. And so again, we're thinking about that concept, we're thinking about that, that roadmap, that creeping rootstock, that plant that sends out roots and shoots as it spreads in so many varying and different directions, 
that all of those little pathways, all of those little parts of learning, all of those little pieces that make it up are always modifiable. You can always go back to it. You can always expand on it. You can offshoot on it. You can reconnect it. You can construct it from the ground up again. And I think it's just trying to say that the learning process is never fixed. It's always modifiable. It can always grow. It can retract. It can reel back. And it's going to adapt to those circumstances, to those surroundings. It can be modified. It can meet modifications. It wants modifications. It kind of demands it in order to survive, given whatever environment is being produced in the learning space. And I think this is a very important way to think about teaching for myself as an educator, remembering that even though I do need to follow a curriculum, even though there are many things that I need to make sure my students grasp and understand, that I need to make sure 75 to 80% of my students are fine with and that I can move on, that although I am following a structure, a timeline, a guided written curriculum designed by specialists, that I am in charge of the learning that takes place. That is my responsibility, being a learner in the community of learners, and I have to remember that that process is always able to change and develop in different ways. It's never going to be linear. There's always going to be offshoots. There's always going to be differentiated instruction, differentiated routes that might need to go in a different way from another one. And that's, for me, super important that I acknowledge as I step into a classroom with diverse learners. And so I'm really grateful that this framework that this lens, that this way of thinking about teaching was brought to my attention by my global studies teacher. It's really helped me understand that, you know, the curriculum and the learning process is not bounded and it is unpredictable, which is so hard to to grasp and to let go of our preconceived notions that, okay, learning has to look this way. Learning is regimented. Learning is from point A to point B to point C and then back to point A again, but with a new topic. No, this style and this framework and lens of thinking about learning needs to be incorporated into the curriculum. You know, we need to see those diversified ways of teaching and potential possible offshoots that our students might have, different directions that they might need to take or want to take. And that should be honored and savored and not put down or discouraged just because we need to get from point A to point B to point C and then back to point A again on a new topic. Like, no, we can't keep doing that. There's no reason why that should keep happening. There's no reason why educators universally can't have the space or don't have the space to be able to look at the learning process holistically And be able to teach in a way that emphasizes that the learning process is not linear. And it never has been and it never ever will be. No matter how much it tries to be regimented in so many ways. I was reading a little bit about how rhizomatic pedagogy has been incorporated into higher education. Because while I was researching it and while you might be thinking as you're listening, you know, how how might this work in an elementary setting? How might this happen? Because when you are teaching younger students, you often have very important things that they need to be able to understand in order to move on through the grades, through different units, through just a higher level of learning and more advanced concepts. So 
when I was researching this, I got a little bit panicky because I thought to myself, you know, okay, don't know how possible this would be, especially in a very younger elementary setting, at least in its full capacity. But then I, you know, reeled it back and I recognized, okay, you know, recognizing every individualized learner and providing them with differentiated instruction, no matter what they need or what is going to best serve them, is a part of this theory and it can be a part of my teaching practice no matter who I'm teaching. But as far as higher education goes and maybe high school, even middle school, those older grades, there are a couple things that educators can do in order to establish a rhizomatic approach, to use that approach and disposition and framework to, to teach. One thing that they can do is establish a context, a reason why they're teaching this way, and basically a format for carrying it out. And a great way to do that, especially in college classes and maybe some high school classes, is to have open syllabi. Syllabi that can be reworked, that are able to foster inquiry and appeal to students' needs. And even a way of doing it is just to have students choose their own path that they want to navigate, their own route that they want to engage with, but then making sure that they're all tapping into the same resources and material and knowledge at some point throughout the course. We kind of did this a bit in my global studies class, actually. We had very big topics with some provided reading and resources and materials to play around with, look into. We would discuss and answer a discussion post with any framework that we wanted. All we had to do was meet a few criteria. There was no word count. There was no, like, very specific specializations. It was just what we found interesting. And then we would talk about it. And although this, this was a, um, a three-hour online class, like, it would go by so fast because we were just having open, important, very engaging conversations about what we found passionate, about what we found to be interesting to us and where our educational journeys took us throughout the course. So that was, you know, this course, this Global Studies Senior Seminar course is probably the most rhizomatic class I've ever taken. And before this class, the fall of my senior year in my education degree, I had never, ever heard about this type of learning, this way of looking at learning, this approach and this theory ever before. And it's so important and holistic and very cool to think about and uh, become familiar with as an educator. I'm always trying to find new ways to teach my students and just find better ways to teach them. And this is one of them. And I'm really glad I stumbled upon it. Because another way to implement rhizomatic pedagogy, which I've also found can be done at all age levels, is just to build curriculum as community. That's so important. Making community a part of the curriculum, a part of the learning process, truly emphasizing and ensuring all voices are heard, ensuring every student has a stake in their learning, has a place in the learning space. And being very intentional with that is a very crucial part, I think, of implementing a rhizomatic approach. And that's something that I already try to do and that many educators alike are doing as well, which is reassuring and good to know that at least some of this framework is being utilized in the modern classroom. And so just to reemphasize again, 
rhizomatic learning in higher education is very, very possible. It looks like course growth and professors really reflecting on their processes and encouraging student feedback as they progress through a course. And it's all about student freedom, where they, again, like I just mentioned, they complete their coursework in their desired order and they engage with the content they want to when they want to, as long as they engage with all of it as designated and, like, designed by the course, like, put in parameters by the course. So yeah, it's very possible. It's so possible. I'm a witness. Although our themes and topics were pretty on schedule, we definitely had a say and a voice and a choice with which ones we talked about when, which was great, as a collective, which was fantastic. And it was a great way to not only stimulate my learning, but just to like spark my interest a little bit more. And it made me feel like I had control over what I was learning and what I was talking about, which is something as a person who likes control in general and as a student, I really appreciated and I really valued because I felt like I was trusted to take my learning into my own hands. And I think when every student is equipped with that trust and that belief in themselves, that confidence, no matter what age they're at, they're going to be more successful successful in their learning. They're going to be reaching those higher achievements and they're going to feel more confident in the learning space, which is what we want at every age level and every grade. Dave Cormier, a researcher and professor, highlights rhizomatic learning really well, and he is a very strong proponent and researcher and advocate for the approach. He says, in the rhizomatic model of learning, curriculum is not driven by predefined inputs from experts. It is constructed and negotiated in real time by the contributions of those engaged in the learning process. This community acts as the curriculum, spontaneously shaping, constructing, and reconstructing itself and the subject of its learning. He sums it up way better than I ever could, and it just truly encompasses the whole model of rhizomatic learning. That curriculum is shaped by those who contribute to it, by those who are actively engaging with it, and learning is defined by how it is shaped. Not the product, not the end result, but that constant shaping, reshaping, remodeling, reconstructing process. And that is so, so cool. And I keep saying it's so cool and this is so awesome and which I really love and words like that, phrases like that. But I truly mean that. It's a very holistic way to think about learning and I love how it doesn't regard learning as something linear and strategic and always chronological and always sequential because it is not and it should not be because that is not the way that every single learner works. It's just not. We have to realize that. It is just simply not the reality. Rhizomatic learning is all about growth, individuality, and collectivism in the fact that the learning process means that all of our ideas are interconnected and all individual ideas are interconnected in some way. They're multiple, they're self-relocating, and there's no beginning or end to that process for anybody on that individual level again and as a whole group in the learning space. It is not about starting and finishing. It is about coming and going and going through the waves and going through the motions of learning. And that is something that I really hope to impart on my students in some way to remind them that the learning process 
is all about coming and going. It is not about starting and finishing. To, to establish lifelong learners, to establish students who believe that they're all good at math, to establish students who love to read and not just students who are literate, to just establish people who love to learn, who want to learn, and acknowledge that it does not end when they graduate high school. It does not end when school is out for the summer. It does not end at any point in their lives. I think that's the rhizomatic model of learning right there. That's a big part of it. Learning is continuous. It's shaped by so many different things, so many different experiences. It can be reworked. It can be remodeled. It can be adapted and modified in so many different ways. And I really hope to impart this way of learning and to utilize it in the classroom in all settings that I'm in with my students in the future. I'm really glad I found it, and I can't wait to use it. Thank you so much for listening to this very <laughs> passionate episode of I Statement. You know, I, again, can't claim that I know all about rhizomatic learning and the model of it and its approach and lens, and I can't claim that I have all the materials to be able to use it effectively and use it in the classroom setting itself. But I can say that I'm really excited about it, and I'm really excited to think through this new framework that I've adapted. And I really can't wait to inform my teaching style in a way that is even a little bit rhizomatic at first. Community as curriculum, that's something that I can do. That's something that I can enforce and make a part of my student teaching experience, make a part of my first classroom, make a part of even my work community. I'm really excited. <laughs> Again, I keep using excited. I feel like I'm going on about that a little bit, but I truly am. And I can't thank my professor enough for bringing a very important and informed model of learning and teaching and educating to my attention. I'm part of a Facebook group called Rise Over Resilience, and there are so many great resources and educators and passionate advocates and activists for this model of learning there in that space. If you're further interested in rhizomatic learning, I suggest you maybe look into that Facebook group a little bit and also do your own research. There's a lot of, you know, works and books and philosophical viewpoints, and there's not a lot of, like, quick how-tos or little fast facts, but I hope that this podcast can serve as maybe a starting point for that and can help you if you're an educator or if you're just someone who likes to listen to this to understand that the learning process for our students, for our next generations, is not linear. It's not what it used to be, and it shouldn't be what it used to be. Because now we are all about valuing our students, employing diversified instruction, giving them all the materials that they need to succeed, giving them all the avenues that they need to succeed, and we want to honor their individual learning experiences and ways in which they do so. And I'm proud to be able to do that as an educator today. Thanks again for listening. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Please send me a message if you're further curious or want more information about uh, rhizomatic learning and the model of it. I would be happy to talk about it with you and discuss it with you. As an educator, I'm so passionate about it and can't wait to discuss it with some of my ed professors, my mentor teacher, and my peers. Have a fantastic rest of your day, wherever you're at, wherever you are in this world, and I will see you next Monday.